Well, hello and welcome to episode number 76 of Virtual Team Dynamics, the Old Fire podcast. My name is Francis Norman. I'm the founder and principal consultant here at Old Fire. At Old Fire, we specialize in helping you get the most from your virtual teams through understanding how your team members communicate and interact. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the good and bad of international project teams. So considering why an organization may or may not choose to go down the path of using an international team for their projects. So as with all of our podcasts, there's an accompanying article on the Ulfire website. So please do check it out for additional information. And while you're there, feel free to sign up for our regular newsletter. It comes out each time a new article gets released and uh, find out about how we may be able to help you with your business. So the good and the bad of international projects and international project teams, which primarily this article and this podcast is looking at the teams rather than the projects themselves. Looking at the projects will be an entirely different undertaking. And uh, while I may get into that at some point with these podcasts, not right now. Um, so over the last couple of years through the Ulfire blog posts and through these podcasts, I've certainly considered various reasons why organisations may or may not use a virtual team. Um, this is a little bit more of a considered piece, so it's a, bit, a little bit more in terms of what the, what the reasons are, why some good reasons are that organisations will head this way, and equally why some organisations may, may choose not to. And also in there is one why an organisation may actually not wish to do it, but the circumstances they find themselves in uh, sort of drive them in that direction. So essentially there are there are five major um, reasons, five major factors that I'm going to discuss in this post today. And they are access to skills so that the organisation sets its sights on a particular number of skills that it needs. Um, client pressures where the clients may or may not, for whatever reason, push a project into an international model. Um, local government pressures, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit when we get through to that part of it. Um, costs. Uh, costs is a big part of pretty well every project these days. There are times when cost is less of a factor, but certainly in the modern, in the current environment sitting here early 2017, cost associated with projects is a big deal. And then just the general globalization of organizations and how that's impacted the way that organizations tending to deliver their new projects. So if we go back and start with the first one, access to skills. Um, for a lot of organizations these days, they're finding that the skills they really want are not necessarily all available co-located either co-located in one country, which may not necessarily be the country in which the project itself is based, or co-located in their host country. So consequently, organisations are starting, or starting isn't really the right term, they've been doing it for a while now, organisations are looking globally to find where they can get large clusters of the skills that they need, 
Um, they're either then contracting to a partner organization who already has those skills so that they can access them or they're setting up their own offices and their own businesses in third-party countries where those skills are available. So the skills themselves can be a large driving factor. Um, You go back 20, 30 years, and this was something I talked about in the last podcast, um, access to skills used to be a case of access to skills where you were based as the technology has made it easier and easier for organisations to to spread their work around the globe, the access to skills has become more of a, okay, where can we find the best skills rather than where can we find the skills that are local to where we are, where we're headquartered. Now, it's not that long ago that organisations used to find it easier to move dozens to hundreds of people around the world so that they could bring them together in one co-located position to undertake a project. That's almost unheard of these days. Now it's very, very common, very common indeed, that organisations will spread their work across the globe to suit where they can find the people. They still try to find the people in groups, in clusters where where it's most efficient, but um, but often organisations will accept relatively small groupings and relatively small clusters to uh, to give them the access to those best skills. So access to skills, really big, really important part of this. So the second one then is client pressures. So again, historically clients used to want to see all the work done in, let's say, a centre of excellence, a technological centre somewhere. And that was often the reason that they would go to a particular person or a particular organisation to do the work for them. Um, as time has moved along again and as, as different pressures have come to bear, we start to see that there are times when a client will say, well, OK, we want, yes, we want you to do the work, but we also want you to do large parts or all of that work close to our facilities. So that may mean that they want you to bring some of your key personnel to be co-located with their people in their company headquarters or in one of their large company offices. Or it may be that they want you to set up an entire new office close to where they are. Um, There are various different reasons for that. Partly it can be to help to upskill their own people. Um, Partly it can be to provide more in-depth and closer oversight, which is an extremely double-edged and dangerous sword to start waving around on any project. Also, it can be driven by the next factor that we're going to talk about, which is local government and and government pressures generally, rather than just local government pressures. Um, But these challenges of of being forced by your client to move your people to close to where your client is based can cause projects a lot of problems because it's not always the people who are able to move who you want to move to where the project is going to be undertaken. So there can be some real problems as far as accessing skills um, and just establishment in a location where you maybe don't normally do business that can be problematic for businesses. Plus, of course, the closer you are to your client, the easier it can be for the client to start to influence your project. Um, But that's a whole different conversation for a different day. Um, So the third factor then is local government pressures. So these are where a government, whether it's a national government, so you know the country itself or where it's a state or province or a regional government that has a financial investment in the project for whatever reason, either they have money in the table, they're 
co-funding or partly funding or fully funding a project or where you are accessing natural resources that that government has control over, they will frequently put in place standards and targets that drive a project or drive an organisation to place certain portions, certain quantity of that work in their home country. Now, this varies enormously between countries. There are some countries who don't have any such guidelines where it's quite easy for organisations to do the work wherever it suits them and then just to deliver the project at the time for that country. Then there are others where they will mandate up to 100% of the work is undertaken within their host country. There are various different political reasons for why that happens um, and there are various different outcomes that will come from that. But one way or another, there are many, many drivers in most countries these days that will influence the way the work is distributed and what gets done where. Um, Consequently, that can have quite an impact on how a project is planned and how that project is executed that, again, needs to be considered and taken on board when the whole job is being put together and thought through. The fourth one is costs, and largely when when we talk about costs, it's the saving of costs. So it's not where can we find to do this work that's the most expensive. It's where can we find to do this work where we get the best productivity for the money that we spend. Now, I emphasize the word productivity there because that's actually not something that a lot of projects, in my experience, think about when they're looking for where they're going to do the work. It's typical for many projects that they will assume the same productivity for the work wherever it gets undertaken and then they will simply make a decision based on unit cost of labour. So if you assume a productivity factor of one in your home country you will assume that that same productivity factor would be applied wherever else the work may be done. So if you then say okay I can find labour in this other country at 50% of what I would pay for that same equivalent, near enough equivalent labour in another country, or in my home country rather, then you will make an assumption that you're going to save 50% of your labour costs by doing that work in that less expensive country. What can happen, however, is that the productivity in that other country may be lower than the productivity on which you're basing your calculations. So it could be that it's 50% cheaper on a unit of labour basis, but if your productivity is worse than half of what you would get at home, then you're actually costing you more money and you're using more hours of labour, which means that typically your project is going to take longer. And it can work, of course, in completely the opposite direction. It can be that it can be more expensive to buy labour in another country than where you're based but that that other labour may be more or less productive so you could go you you need to look at both the productivity factors both the quantitative and qualitative versions of productivity factors where you're going to execute the work as well as the actual upfront total cost of labour and then make an informed decision over where you're going to do that work. You can't just speculate and say oh we'll get the same productivity wherever we do it because that is simply not true. You need the experience of doing the work in different locations to help you get really good data and really good numbers on it. But you also need to start to look at 
um, various published productivity factors that are out there that are available from, from various organisations, institutions and governments. Then, of course, the f- well, of course, then the fifth and final for this particular podcast um, factor that comes in to influence a lot of this is that organisations themselves are, in many cases, the big project organisations are increasingly globalised in and of themselves. So it's become the norm within many, many businesses that they, by default, spread their work around the world and they've configured themselves to suit this. They've set up the systems and the practices to do the work in this way and the organisation itself needs that kind of an approach to be cost-effective. So they will have invested in technology to allow them to allow them to move the work around the world. They will have developed their people in various locations to um, to to do various parts of specific kinds of projects, and they will have costed their business based on that split and that movement and that execution model. And for those organisations, it's actually so baked in now to the way that they do their work it's the default way that they would go Uh, if you were then to come along as a client and say well I really like the way you do it but I want to do it differently I want you to do all of the work next door to my business offices here in somewhere you've never operated before you then need as the client to expect that there are going to be some cost and risk impacts that will be commensurate with that demand that you may place on them so so that's the fifth one. So as you can see, there are, there are pros and cons here. The access to skills is a big driver for organisations. If you can get the skills where you want them, then it's less of an issue. Client pressures can add risks and they can also add complexity to organisations, particularly organisations not familiar with this kind of a work. Local government pressures place an external demand typically onto the project. That's something that would have to be managed by the owners of the project initially, but then by anybody that does any work for them. Costs is a big factor, um, dependent on where you buy your labour from. Costs is a big factor which will influence how your project goes, either positively or negatively. And then the organisation's globalisation itself is, is something which each business will need to take into account for themselves. So you can see it's not a one-size-fits-all. They are different factors that influence projects in different ways and they you really then need to sit down and think okay for my particular project for the things that I am trying to achieve with my project what is the optimum approach that I can take with the options that are available to me to give me the best outcome that that fits most predictably over whether it's schedule you're pursuing whether it's cost, whether it's quality, or whether it's a, a, some sort of idealised standard point between those three factors. Um, so there's lots to consider, lots of different factors in there and uh, lots of different perspectives. So hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and if you have, then please do check us out for further uh, further episodes. Um, as I say, this is number 76, so there's been all sorts of different themes that we've talked about over the uh, over the years with this podcast. Um, we are at www.ulfire.com.au um, if you want to go and read some of the articles that accompany these podcasts and just have a bit more of a, of a dig around in terms of what Ulfire as an organisation is all about. 
really would love for you to subscribe to the podcast going forwards if you've got any feedback then please do drop me a line or put the feedback on the uh, on the itunes platform or wherever you feel fit and uh, of course for you to pick up on the newsletters as well there are subscription links on pretty well most of the pages on the business website and uh, yes i very much look forward to speaking to you in future episodes thank you 